You're listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent in Birmingham, Alabama, a church with a heart for the gospel. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org. And now, O Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts be pleasing in thy sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Our sermon text this morning is uh, the first psalm that our choir so beautifully chanted this morning, Psalm 90. So teach us to number our days, says the psalmist, that we may get a heart of wisdom. I can remember several years back having a rather serious conversation with Frank Limehouse as he was facing retirement. You know, with all the gravity that few men of Frank's size actually possess, he looked at me across the breakfast table and said, Mark, have you ever seen an hourglass, a real hourglass? I could tell this was a teaching moment, so I leaned in. The sand begins to flow, he told me, but the upper chamber doesn't show much sign of change until the moment when you notice slight dip in the sand. And then once the dip in the sand occurs, then it all begins to rush away. The hour is up. And I'll never forget what Frank said to me in that moment. He looked at me and said, Mark, my sand is beginning to dip. So teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Ecclesiastes tells us that it's better to go to a funeral than to go to a party. Funerals have a way of rousing us to the sands of time. They awaken us to the fact that we're in a battle against time and time is going to win. It always wins. I have a colleague at Beeson who's battling some health issues and I asked him in the hall this week how he was doing and he winced. I could tell he was in pain. and He said, time always wins. And Psalm 90 brings the reality of time into the living room of our hearts and minds, and it forces us to reflect on these ultimate matters for a while. And that's what we're going to do together this morning. Psalm 90. It's a psalm of Moses. It's actually the only psalm in all of the Psalter to bear that great man's name. Its thoughts and its feelings are all about time, God's time and our time. And these two times are compared. They're contrasted with one another. At the beginning of the psalm, it says this in verse 2 about God's time. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. That's God's time. Everlasting to everlasting. Incomprehensible, but true. But our time... Just like Moses' time before us, it's, it's, it's like a breath. The psalmist tells us that before the eternal majesty of God, a thousand years is just like a day. Our days are like a dream, the psalmist tells us. They're here and then they're gone, becoming a faint memory of the past. The, the psalmist tells us, Moses tells us in the beginning, we enjoy the morning of our lives when they flourish and are renewed when we're young. And then we come all too quickly to the evening. Our lives, Moses tells us, are like one day. Here with the rising of the sun, and then gone with its setting. 
The fly fishermen in the room this morning know something about this with the mayfly. Think about the existence of a mayfly. In the morning, the larva turns to a nymph, and then it emerges in its winged form, flies around for the day, adjusts mid-afternoon into a new body, mates, and then dies, all in a 24-hour period. It's quite a day. Think about this with Moses. Moses runs out of time. His whole life, all of his energies were given to delivering his people from bondage, setting them on a trajectory of life and worship before the living God and and moving them toward the land that God had promised them. And on the edge of rounding off life's mission and work for Moses, he runs out of time on the plains of Moab, doesn't even get to the destination. He's forced right at the end of his life to look on the promised land only from a distance. He runs out of time. Hebrews 11 tells us something very similar about the great heroes and heroines of the past of the faith. The author says, and what more shall I say? Time fails me to tell you about Gideon and Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David and Samuel, all the prophets. And listen to these words. All of these though commended for their faith, did not receive what was promised. Who ends their lives right on time? I can remember as a boy hearing my father with some frequency quoting that famous Emily Dickinson line, I did not have time to stop for death, so death so kindly stopped for me. Psalm 90 is clear. God's faithful, we are fleeting. God is from everlasting to everlasting. We are here in the morning and gone by the evening. And if the sands of time do not humble you, then you've yet to reckon with the force of their reality. So what are we to do in the face of the dipping sands of our lives? So many options on offer that the world gives us. Most of us, like the preacher in Ecclesiastes, we're going to inoculate ourselves by pleasure or work. And these two have the ability to knock the edge off, at least for a while, but, but we know this only for a while. Because they run their course too and bring us to the cliff's edge, and at some point in time, we ask ourselves, well, what now? I mean, think about these two cliches we hear regularly. It was fun while it lasted. You can't take it with you. Overused cliches, sure they are, but they're truthful nonetheless. And in the face of our human limitations, the psalmist, Moses, pushes us in a radically different direction than the world. We heard it in our reading this morning, or the singing this morning, from the psalm. So teach us, Moses says, when all this is said and done, teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. It's what we all want on some level. Lord, give us wisdom. We want a well-ordered and a structured life. We want this earthly existence of ours to make sense, at least on some level. We want it filled with meaning. We want it filled with purpose. We want clarity, Lord, for ourselves and for all those that we love. We want clarity about what makes for a life lived well. And here comes Moses right into our congregation this morning, 
pressing through the crowded room of competing options, fame, fortune, toil, and pleasure, and he recites a poem for us. Psalm 90. Do you want a heart of wisdom? Then let me leave you with two things Moses tells us. Number one, measure your days. Square up to the truth of your finitude. Come to terms with the limitations of your humanity, the limitations that no one in this room escapes. Death, says one theologian, confronts humanity as an incomprehensible, inexplicable, and unassailable reality. And he's so right. Who wants to try and unpack the inexplicable and the unassailable? I don't. I'll take a little bit more October baseball if you don't mind. But we can't escape it. If our pandemic moment has revealed anything to us, I imagine in one way or the other it's forced us to think about how difficult and frightening it is to look death right in the face. But Moses tells us this morning from God's word, do you really want to live well? Then you'll have to make a regular stop at a very hard place. The mirror of your finitude and the inescapable reality of your end. Happy stuff this morning, isn't it? Cheery? Well, it gets better, don't worry, because Psalm 90 does not intend to leave you or me adrift on the sea of our finitude with all of the anxiety and fear of being left alone on the open seas. That literature, by the way, is readily available if you'd like to read it. The early 20th century was very good at writing that kind of stuff. But that's not Psalm 90. Psalm 90 doesn't leave you with yourself and your human limitations. Your frailty, your transient character are set in contrast to the central subject matter of this painting. What's this about, this psalm? God's enduring faithfulness and his unending love. Teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom but not to leave you in despair, that sickness unto death. This is not despair literature. Ecclesiastes isn't either, I should say. Psalm 90 leads you to Christ and unlocks for us the door of genuine joy. Listen to what the psalmist says. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love so that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad in the midst of the difficulties of life. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and our children. Do you hear these terms? Satisfy us. Be glad. Make us glad. The favor of the Lord. Moses is calling you and me this morning back to the smiling face of God. Even when the challenging weight of life rests on us, nothing, this is hard, nothing in this world is ultimate and final. Not your job or your status, your reputation in the community, not even your family and your friends. It's a hard thing to hear, hard for me to hear. And if that's the only truth that we have, then I think despair or hedonism are our only viable options. A dark room for brooding or Las Vegas. You choose, right? One or the other. But when our lives are understood for what they really are, gifts from God intended to draw us toward the smile of his favor and his love, then we get that big exhale of joy and satisfaction the stars of our lives are now, at least for this moment, rightly aligned. 
When the Westminster Catechism asks its famous first question, what is the chief end of humanity? It provides an answer that has Psalm 90 all over it. To glorify God, to enjoy him forever. Honestly, I'm sure you feel this in these heavy moments. God's infinity and his eternality are overwhelmingly frightening truths. To stare at the great yawn of infinity as a human is more than any of us can take. We shudder at the thought and we should. So how do we find gladness and joy and satisfaction before a God who is from everlasting to everlasting? One answer the Bible gives us in the face of Jesus Christ. God's love for us, his steadfast love for us is manifest in the crib and the cross. As that old hymn says, if we could fill the whole ocean with ink, we would drain it dry, trying to describe God's love. He gave us his son, and with his son, an eternal life of beauty and joy and satisfaction with God and with each other. And Moses wants you to know this morning that if you want to live well, if you want to live wisely, then you need to understand your limitations and throw yourselves into the loving arms of the one who is from everlasting to everlasting. My wife and I attended a funeral last week in Beaufort, South Carolina. It was our first time at St. Helena's church there, which is a, a church that has some historical relation with our own. The setting there on the coast was beautiful, but circumstances so grievous. I was sharing our experience with Craig about the beauty and the depth of the burial rite that we share in our tradition here. And, and he said, as an aside, you know, we do marry and bury well in our tradition. Well, that's probably true. There's one facet of the burial rite that I so appreciate, and it's the location of the body in the funeral service. Right there in the middle of the congregation, a woman loved by her husband, left too soon, and her family. You could feel the grief in the room. And there's her body right in the middle aisle of the congregation. I mean, the force of that ritual is very hard to miss. There's a continuity in the congregation of the living between the living and those who have gone before us. For the redeemed, the line between the living and the dead is a thin one. And take a deep breath here. This is a hard one to process, but it's true. Given the eternality of God from everlasting to everlasting, and the morning and evening of our lives, we're kind of already as good as in that casket. So what do we do with the force and the heaviness of that reality? This is what we do as a church. We sing. We sing that body along to the loving arms of Christ. We pray and confess our sins together once again. We confess collectively what we believe is true. I believe in the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. We walk through the valley of the shadow of death together, fearing no evil. 
We hear the gospel preached to us in that setting. We celebrate the sacrament of his body and his blood given for us. We weep and we rejoice. And what else can we do in that moment? Then turn headlong to Jesus. And so here we are this morning. Let's pray together. Renew us, O Lord. Revive hearts that have grown cold and despairing. Teach us, O Lord, to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. Amen. You've been listening to audio from the Cathedral Church of the Advent. If you live in Birmingham or find yourself visiting, we hope you'll join us for one of our Sunday services. Find out more at adventbirmingham.org.